0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Socialism, the weekly podcast for Marxist analysis from the Socialist Party. After the excitement of the Corbyn surge in last year's snap general election, politics has been dominated by an ongoing war of attrition in both of the main parties, but with no big political explosions. But beneath the surface, both in terms of working class people's anger and the tensions within both the main parties, things are far from calm party conferences this autumn both attempted to portray unity. But is it possible for the Tories to overcome their Brexit divide? And will the Blairites ever be reconciled to Corbyn's anti-austerity leadership? Today we're discussing the current trends in British politics and what they mean for working class, middle class and young people. If you agree with what's said here, don't just listen. Come along to a meeting to discuss with us and get involved with fighting for a general election to kick the Tories out. Now it's over to Sarah Ruck from the Socialist Party's Executive Committee.
1: Okay, I'm here today with Socialist Party General Secretary Peter Taff, and we're going to be discussing uh, the state of politics in Britain at the moment, and particularly after the two um, party conferences that have taken place this autumn. So hi, Peter. Hi. Hi. Um, so, to start with then, I think for ordinary people in Britain at the moment, it can seem like politics is not very interesting, um, since the general election last year, that there's not been big political uh, explosions, and it can seem in a way that things are a bit stuck, a bit stagnant in politics. What do you think of that?
2: Well, that, that might appear to be the situation on the surface, but there is an enormous churning, taking place in relation to the views of the population, especially of the working class and young people with austerity now lasting for 10 years, uh, with a promise, a a fake promise by Theresa May, that that will end now, the government will introduce uh, some measures to ameliorate the worst aspects of uh, austerity. And the reason why I say that it it gives a false impression of what is to come is because I don't think I've ever seen in my lifetime and especially in the last 10 to 15 years more suffering of ordinary working people in particular more muted protests which have not yet broken to the surface, like the Uber Eats, Mm -hmm. workers who've uh, come out on strike showing the scandalous pay rates that they have, that can be mirrored and is mirrored in thousands of workplaces up and down Britain. But the surface situation is dominated, of course, by the uh, conflict over Brexit. Everything appears to be on hold. The general view of the population is probably sick and fed up of listening to Brexit. But behind that are serious issues of the direction in which Britain is likely to move we can see explosions taking place we can see massive social explosions taking place and the kind of maneuvering within the tory party and the clashes that are taking place is itself an echo of that situation because in revolution and we are facing a kind of revolutionary change in britain a change in consciousness a revolutionary change in consciousness in a way where all the previous accepted tenets of society about capitalism are being challenged either directly or indirectly it's reflected in the language which is being used at the party conferences which we can discuss it's reflected in the general mood of the population where there is an opposition to the system it's not just to this or that aspect of the system and all of that is an accumulated rage that will bl- break to the surface in the next period.
1: Yeah, I think um, you can kind of get used to the situation, can't you, and forget how unusual uh, it is that, for example, to have um, Tory ministers or ex-ministers who are so openly attacking uh, May and different Brexit proposals and stuff to, that it's important to remind ourselves that that isn't business as usual, that that's exactly. exposing something under the surface. So obviously you talked there about the state of the tory party and the divisions uh, within it and we've kind of pointed out a number of times that the tories are the oldest capitalist party in europe which should give them a certain kind of you would think ideological strength uh, a base in a certain way so how have they come then to be in the state that they are now
2: well there is as i said a law in in politics as far as marx is concerned the revolution always starts from the top it's an irony it's something that marx pointed out Engels, Trotsky himself, and that we've continually pointed out. The most visible sign of a coming upheaval in society is the divisions within the ruling class itself that's looking for a way to avert the collisions that are likely to take place. So the roots of the conflict in the Tory party is really twofold. The strength of the Tory party itself, as it emerged in the, 18th, in the 19th century, rather, and became the dominant capitalist party in Britain and it was, a, a, it was an open question as to whether the Liberals or the Tories would be, emerge as the dominant party. No time to go into the reasons for that, but the Tory party emerged as the dominant party and as a number of commentators have pointed out, borrowing by the way, from the rich writings of Marx, of Engels, of Trotsky himself, that the Tory party is not only the largest uh, party, but the most successful party in Western Europe in managing to maintain its rule, apart from occasional periods, about three or four periods when the Labour government has come to power, maintaining its rule, and they've done that on the basis of the enormous economic weight that they had in in world capitalism, which is now gone. I mean, most of the manufacturing, when I was younger, you could say that the Manufacturing hub, 40 miles from Manchester, was the largest industrial component in Western Europe. That is gone now, like the snows of yesteryear, never to return. Britain now is, might be fourth or fifth, depending upon the way you judge the weight of, of an economy. But nevertheless, they're not the power that they were in the past. And that's on the one side. On the other side, the change in the outlook of the population uh, in general, for instance the developments not just amongst the working class people but amongst the middle class who now cannot afford, their their children cannot afford a house, Mm. the upheavals in the schools where the academies through Blairism was foisted on most local authorities and as we predicted as our comrades in the education unions predicted this would lead to the privatization of education which is a fact now, and there's an unprecedented mass revolt taking place amongst teachers, not just in London, but nationwide. There is also this new generation with the limited opportunities for jobs. These are the sons and daughters of the middle class. The wages that they're being paid is nowhere near enough to keep the, the wolf from the door, to even for the basics and so on. So the middle class, it's not just the working class, that is faced with upheaval at one stage, or is discontented, the Tories captured one third of the of the working class. They managed to get a base amongst that section, a kind of uh, a, a, a more uh, prosperous layer that's gone now. They are the base amongst the middle class that's why the Tory party is in disarray It's lost its goal. remember this was a, this was a, a ruling class that controlled one quarter of humankind. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to boast that the sun would never set on the empire. Well, it's well and truly set now, and now British capitalism, British imperialism is a minor power on the world arena, and whereas in the past they bent with the social winds, they bent and adapted and even borrowed ideas from other parties, they're no longer capable of trying to, of doing that. Theresa May is trying to do that by saying, well, trying to actually include an anti-austerity message But that will not work in a situation where she's trying to put forward that message and the food bank's queues are growing longer. There's mass discontent among students about the, the debts that they have. They can't get accommodation. And then when they make all the sacrifices, they come out and the low paid jobs. And that's fueling the colossal discontent. We cannot overestimate the degree to which this huge discontent is developed now and it has to break and it will break we can't say exactly when and how especially on time scales, but it will break and it will change the whole political situation in Britain.
1: yeah and it's so it's that um, crisis of legitimacy of the whole capitalist system isn't it being reflected in the crisis in the Tory party um, and so then the, the kind of the, the Tories there's obviously two main trends uh, it seems within the Tory party at the moment would you say that that reflects then two main trends within the capitalist class in terms of how they want to deal with that crisis?
2: Yeah, up to a point, that is true, although they're not kind of clinically divided in that way. There's many strands to the crisis of capitalism. But when the ruling class itself and the Tory tops are beginning to talk themselves, we have to address the the crisis of capitalism. That is unprecedented language for the Tories, and for the captains of industry, the so-called captains of industry, who are worried about the direction that their system is going in. The crisis of 2007-8, which was a defining moment in the post-war, 1945 post-war history. That was a defining moment, the political effects of which were not immediately obvious. But we see those political effects now in the emergence of left alternatives, not just in Britain with Jeremy Corbyn, perhaps the most important symptom of that crisis, but also in a whole number of countries in Western Europe. And by the way, also the emergence of right-wing populism, which means the traditional way that the Catholics could rule through the Christian Democrats in Italy and a similar phenomena in Germany and the Tory party in Britain. All of that now does not work in this situation. And that's why the Tory party is cleaved, seemingly, into the kind of anti and the, and, the, and, the, and the pro-Brexit wing. The overwhelming majority of the capitalists in Britain want to remain because of the difficulties of the supply chains, so on and so forth. Of course, there's an element of Project Fear in relation to the EU. But it was summed up for me in this headline in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Daily Telegraph of all the journals, and the headline read, "The crisis of capitalism is not just in the economy, but is in Jeremy Corbyn and the Corbyn government." That is the worst nightmare that haunts them, and they're doing everything to try and prevent a Corbyn government coming to power. If, against their wishes, it comes to power, they want to have a, an ace in the hole. They want to have a card to play to split that government through the Blairite right within the Labour Party itself. This is an unprecedented situation that we face in Britain. The surface calm is very disguising of the real developments that are taking place.
1: I think uh, it's a really important point you made there about the polarisation um, that's resulted from the crisis, that on the one hand, you've got the growth of left parties, left ideas, and on the other, um, the a certain growth of right populism, but that they both reflect the crisis, because some people can look at it and think, um, that, you know, l- look at the rise of right populism and see that as the right being strengthened. But of course, the point that we make is actually that reflects a crisis for the right because, like you say, it means they can't govern in their preferred in way. The old way. Uh, yeah. Um, so, on the future of the Tory party, then, um, I mean, obviously, you mentioned Brexit and the the, the pro Brexit and anti Brexit wins um, of the Tories and of the capitalist class. Uh, and this seems really to be a completely intransigent crisis for them that they're unable to, to overcome. Is there any way for them to then reconcile those two wings of the Tory party given that?
2: Well, I don't think they will have a complete reconciliation. They might have a fudged solution, that's another question entirely. But we have to remember that the Tory party has lost, not is in danger of losing not just Theresa May or of any successor to Ther- Theresa May, but also. Um, The last number of Prime Ministers, uh, Cameron, Thatcher, John Major, all of whom have fallen victim to the irretrievable splits on the issue of the EU within the Tory party itself. And it's not just. In Britain, by the way, that is also, those divisions exist in in the parties of the ruling class on the continent, not as pronounced as here because of the history of British capitalism, because British capitalism was the strongest power in Europe and used to pursue a policy of balance of power of playing off one, one uh, country against another of the weaker ruling classes compared to themselves, that's all gone now and now the, the pressure that is developed within the, the society and within the Tory party towards the capitalist EU we object to the capitalist EU, to the neoliberal EU we don't in any way support the little Englander nationalist approach towards the EU. In fact, really what the EU represents is an attempt of capitalism, the productive forces which is science, technique, the organization of labor, to overcome the limits of the nation-state. It's impossible to pursue socialism in one country or to pursue, you know, a struggle just in one country. The working-class struggle is international or is nothing and there's a certain unity between the working class of of Europe. That's why many of the young people object object in Britain, object to the jingoistic kind of phraseology of the anti-Brexit camp. That's the capitalist, the pro-capitalist elements in the pro-Brexit camp. We uh, entirely differ from them. We oppose the EU because it's an anti-worker, neoliberal project whose purpose is to undermine the trade union and the labour movement and the gains of the working class of Britain in the past. Our solution is a workers' Brexit, defending the gains of the working class and pressing for more concessions, particularly on anti-trade union legislation and so on, and linking that to the idea of a socialist United States or a socialist confederation of Europe. That's entirely possible. You could win because the productive forces as the arguments that have whirled around the EU on the question of the supply chains, how difficult it is to, br- to break the supply chains, is that really indicates that capitalism has prepared the basis now for a new society, for a, a much uh, more coherent, mm. a much more organised society, well-organised society, with the democracy of the Labour and Trade Union movements.
1: OK, so on um, Tory party conference then, Uh, I think the message that um, certainly Theresa May, but also most of the Tories that it were trying to portray there is um, one of unity. They were, you know, praising Theresa May's speech, even if they said, oh, not the Brexit bit, the ones on the kind of uh, other wing. But um, obviously prior to the conference, with the exception of that, Theresa May really seems like um, a politician on the edge, I think, and you can see the kind of desperation in... Things like the ridiculous dancing, start her oh. uh, speech, um, and everything she does really just exposes to the population in general her weakness, the Tories' weakness, the weakness of the the capitalist class. So, given that, how is she still leader of the Tory party this far on?
2: That's a good question. It's, uh, but before answering that, I think that the attempt to kind of present a new image of a of a trendy, up to date. Prime Minister there, the frills, and to choose uh, Dancing Queen of ABBA may have discredited that tune forever with the whole layer of the population. It would have been more appropriate, perhaps, if she would have come into the tune of Waterloo, which is more accurate in describing the internal situation and perhaps her own fate as far as uh, the events in the next period are concerned. But these divisions within the the Tory party, is impossible to contain them because of the enormous pressure now that has been exerted. The Tory party itself did not solve a single problem. I mean, this week in the House of Commons, and this is the real danger, she is appealing to Labour MPs, right-wing Labour MPs like Chukaruma and others, the Blairites in other words, who still unfortunately remain within the Labour body. We can come to that a little bit later on, is appealing to them to come to the aid of the government in the event of a Brexit vote and really what Theresa May is trying to uh, practice is the age old method of the British ruling class of empiricism of taking each kind of snail's pace development hoping to get through probably to fudge a lot of issues we can't discuss that in any great detail here today because it's not clear what's going to happen on the, on the border but probably a soft Brexit hoping therefore to have re- retained some of the elements of the of the uh, single market the question of immigration that's a more uh, complex uh, question but retaining some of those elements and going for a uh, for a soft brexit which many of the journals of capitalism have come out for now which the right within the labor party would support and corbyn himself by the way would probably go along with this and most of the population Probably would rub along with that kind of proposal. We think it will be a short-term palliative measure. It won't solve the problems. It could patch over the the divisions for a period of time. Problem with it is uh, Theresa May is discredited. The May wing is discredited. But what's the alternative? The buffoon Johnson, or the other array of has-beens? Well, it's possible that one of them could come through the cracks and could be elected, but that's of secondary importance, quite honestly, to us. It would still be a Tory party, even if some of the the right in the Labour Party betrayed the working class and gave it support, that would have enormous consequences inside the Labour Party as well.
1: Okay, so then that's a, a good place to maybe move on to some of the points on um, Labour. and. I think the Labour conference, the the attempted message to come out of that was similar, wasn't it? It was uh, one of unity. Everyone's united behind um, the, the leadership now. Uh, but given the kind of divisions that you've hinted at there, how long can that that message last for?
2: Well, we've said from the beginning of the Corbyn phenomena, and when it first developed, well, we didn't think he could win. Um, but nevertheless. Against all the odds, because anybody could join the Labour Party and at the, for the price of a pint of beer, um, and the, it was overwhelmingly young people, the the, the, the the contradiction is, the change within the Labour Party came from outside, primarily. He only got on the ballot paper by a fluke, we've discussed that many times, by Tom Watson and others lending them. them mm-hmm their vote, vote, and they've regretted that ever since. Nevertheless, as soon as the election campaign began, the the Labour Party ranks began to grow. It's now, at least on paper, claims to have about half a million. I'm not sure that that's completely accurate of the active layer, but it's certainly the biggest party in Britain. The Liberals are reduced to a parlous state now, of even advertising for an alternative to Vince Cable. Um, The Tory party itself, Is composed mostly of an older generation um, whereas the Labour Party is composed of youth, young people primarily, it's more of a contradictory phenomena and at the Labour Party conference you showed the possibility, you saw the possibilities but also the pitfalls that exist for Labour in the next period. First of all we said with Jeremy Corbyn there's been three attempts to remove him as, as the leader and it hasn't ended yet There will be continual coup attempts against Jeremy Corbyn, either openly or disguised before the election, and particularly if he's elected into power after the election as well. And that has come from the pro-capitalist wing, the Blairite wing of the Labour Party. At the Labour Party conference, unfortunately, there was composites, resolutions which were amalgamated, which came out with a compromise. It was not mandatory reselection. It's not been implemented now. It was more of an extension of the trigger vote, which gives a bit more leeway uh, for the removal of right wing MPs. And by the way, I want to make a point here. Many of these MPs are saying, well, you're, you're, you're threatening me by mandatory reselection, you're threatening to sack me. Um, and I have my own uh, employment rights, so on and so forth. But that's entirely false. We we need representatives who are prepared to stand up to the bosses, stand up to capitalism, who represent the will of the rank and file. Nobody is elected as a Labour MP without uh, getting support from the, those people who campaign day in and day out to fight for that Labour MP. And when they they support by sleight of hand, openly, as in the case of Chuka Uma. Over the anti Semitism issue, came out with disgraceful stuff that the Labour Party now is institutionally racist, a scandalous uh, possession for a Labour MP to comment on. It's, in, it's all aimed to give ammunition to the ruling class, and it's a foretaste of what can happen. So, unfortunately, the unions, uh, some of them on the left, went along with a compromise instead of acting to their mandate of mandatory reselection. They went along with the compromise, I think only the FBU of all the unions voted for mandatory reselection and, and voted against this, this compromise. And really what that represented was a short-term measure where they believed some of these union leaders, perhaps in good faith, we don't know, that um, they were voting for a measure that the members would want because there's such a desperation for a Labour government that's why Corbyn was able to say we are now united and we're all one big uh, happy family, you know, we're a broad church. That's not, the, that's not what it was, was the case in the past when in the Labour Party people like myself with the militants in the 1980s and afterwards were expelled for standing up for working people because the right said, no it's not a broad church Marxists are not uh, covered by that definition it's a narrow church of right-wingers, who, after all, were not socialists, we know that now they they abandoned clause four, part four, but nevertheless, in this enormous surge, there's been a surge towards the left, but it's not been reflected in our opinion sufficiently in the leaders of the left or the erstwhile leaders of the left, and certainly not by momentum. if compromised, they didn't agree with mandatory reselection to begin with. Now, their position is they've compromised with others. And what we have now is, uh, is, is a botched job, which will not fit the purpose of the ranks, demanding that right-wing, unrepresentative MPs are recalled. That's what mandatory reselection is. They're still in situ, and it's an open question how many of them, and even the trigger ballots, will be removed. Probably the Parliamentary Labour Party will still remain, largely, in the hands of the, the, the Labour right, And that's a very dangerous situation for the Corbyn government.
1: So, um, like you say, we've said uh, this um, uh, thing about the Labour Party being two parties in one since Corbyn's election. The anti-austerity wing behind Corbyn and then the pro-capitalist wing um, in the the big majority of uh, Labour MPs, the Labour councillors, those who dominate in the party machine being really representatives of capitalism within the Labour Party Um, and you just hinted there about you know your own history and the you know our party's history uh, inside the Labour Party um, and that that battle between the uh, pro-capitalist and uh, anti-capitalist forces inside Labour that's that that's been a kind of long-running battle Um, and I suppose people might uh, wonder about how we've Changed how we categorise the Labour Party, that we've called it a Workers' Party, then a Capitalist Party, and now two parties in one. So, how do we determine what the character of a party is, given that there's always these different forces within it?
2: Yeah, it's a good question again, because there are many people who say, well, we have changed our position in an unprincipled way, not explaining our method of, of approach and our thought and so on. First of all, in our opinion, you know, there are some people who say, well, the Labour Party's always been two parties in one. That's not true. Yes, there were divisions between right and left, but there was a common basis in the Labour Party, really prior, prior to the advent of uh, Neil Kinnock, of John Smith and of Tony Blair. The, the process began under Neil Kinnock. It was completed by Tony Blair. And that was to change the character of the Labour Party itself. There were battles between left and right in the 1950s over the H-bomb, over defence. I participated in that. That's how I came in to the Labour movement, through the campaign against nuclear disarmament in the late 1950s, early 60s. Then there was a battle over Clause 4, which where the right tried to do what they'd done in Germany, uh, in the German Social Democrats, who abandoned the, the goal of socialism at the bad Godsberg Conference and eliminated socialism from their constitution. The Labour Party had clause 4, part 4, which stood for the nationalization of the commanding heights of the economy and the, pop, the most popular form of administration that was possible, in the words of workers control, workers management and so on. We were in the Labour Party. We got tremendous support for our ideas, our demand for the nationalization Of the 250 monopolies, 300 monopolies at one stage, because it's the the monopolies, the the economies going through the process of concentration, the concentration and centralization of capitalism that Marx spoke about, we put that forward at a Labour Party conference, it got 3 million votes. That was an indication of the socialist consciousness of the rank and file of the party, particularly in the early 1980s, the background against which was the minor strike, a titanic class struggle, really civil war without guns, the marvellous movement in Liverpool, in which the, the council carried through more reforms, more but more housing because it stood up to Thatcher and got back millions it got back about sixty three million from the Tory party from the, from Thatcher, who was forced to capitulate to the demands of Liverpool. That was preceded by Clay Cross and so on. All of that, and that was indicating the enormous beginnings of the rearming of the Labour Party on socialist ideas. The Labour Party, young socialists, produced tremendous material at that stage. But then the forces of reaction after the defeat of the miners' strike, Thatcher then came for Liverpool and managed to uh, defeat, by, not not but through the force of her own arguments and the force of her own Forces, but through the agency of Neil Kinnock, who stabbed the Liverpool working class and council in the back, and the rest is history. The same, by the way, was done as far as the miners are concerned, and he shifted towards the right. He was an erstwhile left, always claimed to stand on the left, perfect figure, in other words, in which the right-wing reaction in the Labour Party could be carried out. Then, of course, we ended up with Blair. And Blair carried through the process of the bourgeoisification, it's a rather ugly term, but the complete elimination of socialism, that before that, the Labour Party is what Lenin called a bourgeois workers' party, that is, a bourgeois or pro-bourgeois leadership, but with a working class base, particularly through the trade unions. After Blair, it had all gone, and it was recognised by the spokesman of capitalism, when Thatcher was asked what her greatest achievement was, she said simply Tony Blair. Because he he had carried through a capitalist counter-revolution in the Labour Party, expelled the left, we said, they'll come for us in the morning, they'll come for the rest of the left in the afternoon. Expunged all elements of socialism in the Constitution, chopped down the influence of the unions and so on, until we had the, the situation where it was a shell, where no fighting worker militant fighting worker would consider entering its ranks and fighting for change and that's why there was such a campaign we stood then for a new mass workers party and we were correct to, to stand for that and we campaigned on that and moreover we would say we never ruled out in 2002 we said it's possible there could be such a crisis that sections of the working class and the unions itself could begin to change even old, discredited organizations. There's many examples of that in history. For instance, in Greece, the Centre Union, which was a liberal party, became, in the process of mass upheavals, PASOK, which was a socialist party at one stage. There's many other examples in Latin America. And we said, well, that's possible. We didn't think it was likely. But then, we, because the delay in forming a new party led to this situation with Jeremy Corbyn, who spoke at some of our meetings and so on prior to this, Spoke at an NSSN rally in London. Uh was very friendly in his approach towards us, us towards him, as we still are. Then that, that phenomena then developed and the, ma- the mass of young people attempted to join the Labour Party, many of them excluded by the Blairite machine that still stayed intact. Now the pro- that process has been taken further, but there are new complications. And those complications will be shown, not just now, but the toleration of the right would mean, could mean a repetition of what happened. If there's not a split before, it could, it could be a repetition of what we saw in 1931 when a minority Labour government came to power with Ramsay MacDonald. And then after two years, the ruling class then demanded that they, they cut the uh, umbilical cord and they pass over to a national government and a coalition with the Tories and the Liberals, the National Liberals as they were called. And why is it that now, in the in the, the press, has praised Tom Watson and the Evening Standard of George Osborne, has praised Tom Watson and his cohort of right-wing MPs and said they're very courageous staying in the Labour Party. We need them in the Labour Party. Just as they advocated that Herbert Morrison, the great-grandfather of Peter Mandelson and others, that they, they stayed in the Labour Party in 1929, to safeguard it against moving towards the left. What that is is indicating is the possibility of even now, before a Labour government comes to power, trying to have an insurance policy, if they don't succeed in harassing that government and bringing it down, then they could go for a split in the government at a certain stage. So this idea of unity at all costs is misplaced. It, it's wishful thinking against the background of enormous upheavals to come.
1: Um, I think it's, sometimes it's hard for particularly young people who've never had the experience of it to um, kind of comprehend and imagine what a, a really dynamic workers' party can look like. And I always think of uh, an interview I did with Tony Mulhern once about the events in Liverpool that you were just talking about, where he described what the district Labour Party was like. And the um, representatives of uh, each uh, area Labour Party, the representatives of the young socialists, the representatives of the women's committees, representatives from all the trade unions, all coming together and having, uh, you know, thorough debate on what policies should be adopted and that the policies adopted were then the ones that the council has carried out and that kind of democratic control, which is something I think that just seems so alien now and really kind of gets across the extent of the change that took place um, under under Blairism within Labour. Um, and obviously we took that into account in our orientation uh, at that um, time and how we've orientated to the Labour Party at different times has um, changed. And some people, I think, um, say to us that the the events since 2015 show that we were wrong to leave the Labour Party in the early 1990s? How do we respond to that?
2: Well, I've partly answered that in a previous uh, question. Uh, it wasn't a question of us leaving the Labour mm. Party. We were expelled. I mean, there are some people who say, well, you and the five members of the editorial board, the other four members of the editorial, or the five members of the editorial board of, of militant, were expelled. But the calculation of the right, supported by some so-called lefts, were on the left in the past and then moved towards the right was well if you cut off the head then the body will die now they found out that militant was hydra-headed it wasn't just us but we also had a very viable um, uh, uh, supporters embedded into the labor party and that point that you raised about the district labor party and its democracy which was exemplary And unique in a way, compared to the rest of the country. We insisted on that. And I was intimately involved with the struggle in Liverpool. Visited there very often. Of course, I come from Merseyside itself. And we were involved at every stage of the movement itself. And we said, you have to have support before you engage on any programme or any policy. You have to win political support. And we did that. We never had more than 11 councillors on the Liverpool City Council. But the force of our arguments carried others who were halfway in our camp, three quarters in our camp, who saw the validity of what we were putting forward. No cuts and no rate increases to compensate for cuts, but of a mass mobilisation to confront the Tory government. Most people thought this was a bit mad, but we succeeded. Through general strikes of public sector workers, through mass support in the Merseyside area, through historically highest vote for Labour at any time under the so-called malign influence of militants in Liverpool, we won all of that. You contrast the the uh, the scorn with which councils, including Labour councils, are held today because they are the agencies of May's policies for cuts. They, it's the so-called dented shield. They have no shield now. You have two councils, only two, I think there's more coming, in Somerset and Northampton, who've just given up the ghost. These are Tory councils, who've said to the to the government, come in with your commissioners and take over. And what we did in Liverpool was an example. Now, that, that means that the working class will still face an horrendous situation on the basis of a continuation of this position. And it's not just a question of the MPs in Parliament, it's the whole character of the Labour Party needs changing in relation to the councillors who are carrying through the dirty work of the government and of big business. And that's why there's a revolt at local level, because these, these councils now, it's a bit like what happened in the past with the, um, with the popular council, because the way that rates are calculated now is where all the grants have been taken away. I mean, you only have to open the newspapers in the last couple of days. It's horrendous, the degree of the cuts that are taking place. There was the, this, this demonstration in Somerset, in Somerset, which was supposed to be Sleepy Hollow, which is one of the most deprived areas in Britain, in which the, the demonstrators were challenging, were, were chanting against the council uh, about about the eight people in the cabinet, deciding the face. Of tens of thousands of people in that area don't let the eight decide our fate was the chance but that example of Liverpool uh, we were fighting for that and the rest of the country and there were elements of that for instance in the GLA D- which carried through tremendous reforms in which there was democracy at rank and file level if the Labour Party is recaptured for democracy and for a militant socialist fighting policy those times will come back. And by the way, if we were here, we're well, not here, there would be battles taking place because of the character of the Labour Party in this halfway House position today where there are two parties in one, where you have, a, on the one side, a pro-capitalist wing increasingly discredited, has tried everything with anti-Semitism and so on. It hasn't worked. It's possible now we can either have a majority, the Labour government, or at the very least of a minority Labour government. One of the things that could stand in the way is Scotland, where in my opinion Jeremy Corbyn and the present incumbent in Scotland, Leonard, is carried through a terrible policy in relation to the national question, where well, Labour does not gained there, as it should do, from the general anti-austerity feeling that exists in Britain because they have a false policy on the national question. At least they should stand for the right of self-determination, and the right of the Scottish people to decide in a new referendum if they want. And also, by the way, that being coupled with the idea I put forward before of a socialist confederation of Britain, including England, Scotland, Wales and parts of Ireland if they wanted to join in to such a democratic confederation. So a new mass workers party will be democratic from top to bottom. There'll be election of all officials and a right of recall. The, none of the, the, the lack of democracy, to say the least, that exists now. Where, for instance, the you, you have an MP elected for five years, a parliament elected for five years. Same in the U.S. with the Senate and with the Electoral College. I mean, that's a means of checking the democratic will of the American people. We stand for the abolition of the Senate and of the Electoral College. On that basis, Bernie Sanders, if he would have stood for the presidency in the, of the U.S., would now be the president if he would have been the democratic candidate. That's entirely possible. Those kind of changes are entirely possible and have to be fought for in the Labour Party. The problem is the programme of of Jeremy Corbyn now is inadequate to the horrendous task that would face any government, but particularly a socialist, one that claims to be a socialist or a Labour government. The ruling class are sharpening their knives now along with the right-wing and the Labour Party, ready to stab that government in the past. We have to be deadly realistic in relation to the prospects for the Labour governments.
1: Okay. so last question then. We've talked about two parties in one in Labour, but we've also really talked about two parties at least in one in the Tory party as well. Oh, three. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So looking forward to, say, a year's time or two years' time, What do you think parliamentary uh, politics, the parties in Parliament, might look like?
2: It's a very difficult (laughs) question to answer in this period of sharp and sudden changes in the situation. It's possible, as I said, that Theresa May might stumble through with the support of others towards a soft Brexit. On the other hand, it's possible that she could be removed. Usually the Tory party, as some of the commentators, their own commentators appointed, are ruthless. When a leader does not deliver the goods, they're history. Even Thatcher, who won three general elections, was history, once she'd shown their failure in relation to the poll tax. The poll tax brought down Thatcher, and we were responsible. That's militants. Now the Socialist Party were responsible for organising 18 million people to bring down Thatcher. Not Neil Kinnock, not the leaders of the trade unions, Not the little groups on the outskirts of the labour movement like the SWP who compared not paying your poll tax to not paying your your fare on a bus. None of them played the key role. It was the anti-poll tax federation, national anti-poll tax federation. Can't pay, won't pay, refusal to pay. 34 people jailed who were members of our organisation in that epic battle. But it brought down Thatcher. And if anybody's got any doubts about it, Go and read her biography where she talks about these nasty people who are undermining her government. That and the EU brought down Thatcher. So it's an open question whether that can uh, be be repeated. In in the case of Theresa May, uh, she might stumble on. We might have a complete deadlock in Parliament where a general election is called any time. It could be next week, the next month, whatever. She could stumble on till next year. They could have a botched, fudged Brexit with some elements of Brexit, but some elements of alleged independence and so on. Nobody knows. A blindfold uh, Brexit where there's no agreement, they fall out of the EU and then they negotiate on some of their proposals. That's the problems of, of the government. That's the problems of the ruling class. We have our own agenda. It's for a workers' Brexit. It is to defend the interests of the working class in Britain and throughout Europe to uh, express the internationalism of those people, who, who young people in particular, who were in the Remain camp, who didn't want to be locked in and, into an island fortress, wanted the right to travel and so on, see themselves as part of Europe and so on. We put forward at the same time as a workers', workers Brexit, the idea of a United Socialist States of Europe or a Socialist Confederation of Europe would be a better way of explaining it. So that's roughly the way things will work out. But one thing is absolutely clear, things will not go on as they, they are at the present time. There is no real possibility of a, re- a revival in Whale capitalism. You had a certain Palliatives after 2007-08 where they managed to shore up the position by a massive injection of debt. Debt now has become unmanageable from a Whale point of view. have got the figures here if you would want them. There's no way that Greece is going to be able to pay back her debt. There's no way that Spain and others will escape from the debt trap. They then then transferred their resources to the neocolonial world and that went through a certain revival. They described them as the emerging markets, but they're now the submerging markets. Look at the catastrophe in Brazil, where we now have the possible election, if, if he's successful in the second round, of a Bonapartist, a dictatorial figure in the, in the form of Bonsonario, who is uh, openly talking about uh, death squads, military uh, solutions to the problems of the, of the working people of, 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 of Brazil itself, of right-wing populism on the march throughout Europe. By the way, it's not true that the right-wing populists mostly inherited the, the political gains from the crisis of 2008. To begin with, the working people look towards the left, like look towards Bernie Sanders, and only with the failure of the Democrats or for instance now with Jeremy Corbyn and to other forces in the left, the the emergence of the populist right is on the one side a reflection of capitalism, of the crisis of capitalism and the failure of the traditional so-called workers' organisations from offering a way out. There is no possibility. Of a mass revival of right wing social democracy. It's finished. It's had its day. Left parties, like the organization of uh, Mélenchon in France, uh, a movement towards the left, like Podemos, which is vacillating, but it could cohere into a certain left party, they would be marking uh, posts along the, 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 the path of the development of mass organization. And we, that is the Socialist Party, would play a key role in that as we played the key role in the unions in particular, in the support for Jeremy Corbyn and defeating the right. We've had a consistent position. That's why we're knocking at the door of the Labour Party and asked for readmittance, because all of the right who who were there in, in attacking us in the past, they've been discredited. Most of them are either outside the Labour Party or are on the way. There's a new left mood that has developed. We need to rebuild The Labour Party, if it's going to be viable as a federation of tendencies as it was in the beginning with the right for people to discuss, the co-op has the right to do that with their own uh, national executive and so on. What's wrong with the Socialist Party being part of the Labour Party, fighting for its programme, participating in the democratic renewal of the Labour Party and creating a weapon for working people to fight back against the system as important as that. Is also to prepare the way for the sources Britain.
1: Okay. Well, I think uh, everything you've said today shows the potential for um, very quick and varied uh, changes in the situation. So, people should definitely send us questions on anything that Peter's said today, but also as events unfold, any questions that people have got. So, thanks for joining us, Peter.
0: Okay. Thank you. If you found that discussion useful, head over to socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast, where you'll find notes for each episode, including further reading to help you understand more deeply the topic. Make sure you hit subscribe now so that you never miss an episode. Visit socialism2018.net for details of that fantastic socialist weekend of discussion and debate in central London on the 10th and 11th of November. And we want to hear from you, your ideas, your questions. So email us at socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk.